Hey everyone, uh, another episode of iFreaks show and today we have a special guest, uh, Jordan Morgan. Hey, how's Jordan? it going? How's it going? Jordan uh, recently, or well, it was in October, I think, uh, of last year, gave a talk at um, uh, TriSwift in Tokyo about life, the life of an image on iOS. So we, we, we got you on to talk about that. But before we get jump into the topic, uh, can you briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yep, Jordan, I am an iOS developer at Buffer. Uh, it's a remote company, um, small small team there, just me and one other uh, person on the iOS team. Um, but yeah, I've been there, I guess, uh, this September will be five years. Um, and before that, I worked at a small uh, healthcare startup uh, doing some iOS and uh, some Microsoft.net framework stuff. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. But yeah, so I, I uh, keep busy there, and I also have my blog, uh, SwiftJectiveC, um, which is, it turns out it's like the worst domain name ever because it's kind of hard to spell, but <laughs> everyone in iOS, I think, kind of kind of gets the uh, name. But uh, in addition to that, I also have my side project, uh, SpinStack, which was kind of uh, the basis for the, the talk you mentioned. So uh, uh, what are you doing specifically at, at Buffer? Uh, you know, it's all iOS, which is exactly the, the way that I like it. So uh, um, when I was on a podcast uh, with Sean Allen a while ago, we were kind of talking about like career transitions when you kind of move from one job to the other. And kind of my uh, main criteria was like, whatever job I go to next needs to be all iOS, you know, because I didn't want to kind of do the web dev or too much backend stuff. So yeah, everything that has to do with iOS, um, we have two, uh, we have three apps right now, uh, maybe some more coming in the pipeline, but but yeah, but my whole day is pretty much all coding and uh, then the other stuff, you know, that comes with work, uh, planning and uh, checking out features and checking in with stakeholders and stuff. But yeah, mo most, uh, most times it's uh, all, all coding and we actually just now started uh, playing around with Swift. So before that, it was all Objective-C. So a lot of fun stuff going on there. Yeah, and I, I can imagine I used uh, Buffer myself for scheduling mostly but i know mm -hmm. you guys have uh what's the name of that uh, can't no yeah we've see, got see we've something got... app that that does uh the, the image uh you work oh, with pablo? Images. pablo oh yeah yeah pablo. yeah pablo yeah i love pablo i use it all the time too so are you working on that one as well no um we haven't done too much with pablo lately but we do have some things i think that are that'll come to fruition this year that kind of have to do with images and image generation since um, you know, kind of the customer we serve predominantly is uh, the companies with the online presence that sell directly to consumers, you know, like, like the podcast sponsors a lot of the times, you know, uh, uh, um, 
now that I'm trying to think of it on the spot, I can't think of one, but, but if you listen to podcasts, you know, you get like mm-hmm. the regular, uh, the regulars on there. Uh, but all that to say they post to Instagram and social media quite often and need pretty looking images. So yeah, we're trying to make something kind of in the same, uh, ilk of, uh, Pablo and put a, put a new spin on it. So, um, I'm hoping, uh, I'll be able to talk about that sooner rather than later, but, uh, short answer. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so so the talk talk you gave was the again the life uh, the life of an image on iOS, right? So what sort of one sentence briefly? What is it about? It's if I had to give the elevator pitch, it'd be what really happens with a UI image when you use it uh, from a memory standpoint. Like that was kind of the one liner for the talk. Mm-hmm. So what what spurred you to to kind of dig deeper into that? That's a very specific concrete niche topic on iOS, right? It's kind of it like really is. fiddling with, uh, I don't know, AV foundation and how streaming is done. <laughs> oh, God, God help you if you're doing that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's this, it's, uh, it, it all has to do with SpinStack, really. I was uh, adding a feature for that where uh, there was an image in a table view and the image, you know, the dimensions were kind of proportional to the width with uh, some scaling. And when, when I added that, um, and to back up a little bit, SpinStack, my, my side project, it's a list-based app that keeps like a running total of its items. And, you know, you can drill down into the items like most list apps and add like, you know, notes and this, that, and the other. And, and one of those things is images. And what I noticed was after I added the image support, when I would open up an item and the new view controller would show with, with that image, uh, it was basically just a table view. If I scrolled really quick, um, you got the, the, the hitch and you know, that's such a, that's probably another good podcast topic in and of itself. Cause there's so many causes of those hitches in table and collection view. It's almost like a rite of passage. <laughs> I feel like as an iOS developer to like dive down and, and see what's happening there. Um, but you know, I tried the usual suspects, you know, I tried some prefetching stuff, uh, made the, I even took out like auto layout. I didn't think it totally couldn't be auto layout, right? Like it's dynamic cell height, but I didn't think that would be it. So, you know, I calculated it and used frames and, you know, I did all these things and nothing really seemed to fix that one particular issue. And it only happened with images. So that was kind of like the giveaway. Um, Mm -hmm. All that to say, that was like kind of the tip that I needed to to dive into this topic some more. and lucky for me, I went to WWDC for the first time that year, and there was a talk called Images and Graphics uh, Best Practices, I think is what it's called. Uh, I think there's a performance in there, Image Performance and Graphics Best Practice, something like that. And I was like, hey, this, this might, maybe this will shed some light on what's going on. And basically it did. And once I kind of took a peek under the hood of how images are working under the hood, I kind of figured out that maybe the problem was the way that I was handling it and presenting it. Uh, and after a lot of fiddling around it, I got the knowledge I needed from that session to kind of dive in and look deeper and fix it up. Is it is it one of those uh, WWDC sessions that they have every year and it's the same thing showing um, how to render a really large image with pinch to zoom example? <laughs> or am I confusing it with, with some, something else? Um, I, well, I guess we could put the link in the show notes, but no, this one has been one off as far as I know. Okay. Um, like I haven't seen it repeated. And there's another topic... Uh, that they had uh, iOS memory deep dive that was kind of closely related to it. And I get them confused because there's so there's so much overlap between the two uh, that mm-hmm. it almost like I watch them back to back quite often. But but no, this one was one off. It was definitely just laser focused on UI kit, UI image, UI image view and and how they're working. I see. So you start to kind of research research on that and 
getting down the rabbit hole, right? So very, what, what, very much. What did you find? Yeah, so it, it, it's actually kind of crazy because the problem that I had at the end of the day had to do with image uh, decoding. And if you kind of search around for image decoding or look in like, you know, headers and UI kit, you really don't see like any mention of it. And when you kind of understand how it works, it, it makes sense because it's like purposely abstracted away from you. Um, you don't have to mess with it. You don't have to deal with it. Um, and, and the image decoding would be, I just kind of want to take a step back sure. and, and give people, give listeners an overview of where is that, I guess, image decoding in your mm -hmm. process and steps of using an image and displaying an image, right? Yeah. Usually it goes in three phases. Uh, so you load the image, right? And like in kind of model view controller parlance, like your model is the UI image, uh, the view is the, uh, you know, the image view um, and the controller is the view controller. But when you load the image, it doesn't have the data that it needs to show at a per pixel point, right? So like it doesn't have all the information it needs to be rendered onto the screen. It just has uh, information about like maybe it's encoding, whether it's uh, a ping, JPEG, it's metadata, the sequence of bytes, but it doesn't describe what it should look like. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, when the uh, UI image hands off to the image view, it does what's called decoding. And when it decodes, then you get that per pixel information. Um, mm -hmm. And that describes like how this, how this image should actually look once it gets on screen. Um, and, and then what's the last step? Uh, the last step would be rendering. So you load it, you mm -hmm. decode it, and you render it. Uh, and when you go to render it, you know, core animation will go and shrink it down to however it needs to look. Uh, and that's kind of the rendering pipeline is just those three core components, load, decode, and render. And then decode again is just kind of since it magically happens. Uh, it's one of those things that you don't have to worry about until you do, you know, like there's always something like that in every framework or, you know, computer science or every app that you've ever worked on. Um, something works for like 90% of the use cases. And mine was kind of like following on, on that other 10% where it wasn't working very well. And the reason for that is I actually was in a scenario where I had to worry about decoding because the, the, the problem with decoding and the problem that I had with SpinStack is those image buffers can get huge. They can, they can balloon on you. And when that happens, that's when you as a developer like have to worry about it and get in there and figure out how to solve it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when, when you say image loading, it's really getting NS data into the memory effectively, right? Yeah, yeah. For, so you, for, for the pic, future pixels of that image. Yeah, so like this idea of a buffer, um, and in this process, there's like really three to worry about. There's the data buffer, which doesn't have that per pixel information, and then there's the image buffer, which, which does. Mm -hmm. um, and the last one is the frame buffer, which is like rendering whatever you see on the screen um, at 60 times per second, or uh, on the new iPads, a, a crazy 120 times a second. And so, you know, your app's got that deadline, like every 60 seconds, you're trying to, uh, you know, render a new frame so that when you scroll or, you know, do whatever you're doing on the screen, you get the nice buttery smooth feeling. But image buffers can do two things. They can take a long time to do their CPU intensive and they can hang around in memory. So those two things add up and then you can't catch up to the frame buffer in time and then you get that stutter. Um, mm. And that's, that's where it's a problem. Uh, but yeah, the, the big picture is the load decode render, you know, what Apple kind of refers to as the rendering pipeline, that middle step is where things can go really wrong. But the reason mm -hmm. I think 
a lot of people don't know about it, myself included. Like, you know, I've been doing iOS development for a long time and I, I never knew about this until I look, looked into it, right? Me, me um, neither until I watched your talk. I'm like, okay, I yeah, care about this most of the time. Yeah, like, absolutely, ever. correct, yeah. And it's funny because I almost thought about framing the talk of answering the question right up front, like when you should use this. Because mm -hmm. as you're watching the talk, you might be A, thinking, I don't need this, like my apps are fine. Or B, like, oh my God, if I'm, am I supposed to be doing this all the time, you know, and I'm not doing it ever? That's actually kind of how I thought, to be honest. Then oh, I, yeah. I know I use some frameworks, they supposedly do that stuff, mm -hmm. but not always. Like now I'm at a large organization and we're not really kind of keen on using open source stuff. So sure. Like, uh, oh. Makes sense. I guess either we already do it or at some point we'll have to. Totally, yeah. And there's the, the thing that's nice about this topic in particular is like there's a pretty easy like chart you could follow to know when you need to do it. And when you don't need to do it is if you're using like an image asset catalog because basically it takes care of all this for you. Um, mm -hmm. So if you have all of your image assets already in your asset catalog, it's already taking care of the image buffer and sizing it and taking care of it at compile time. Um, uh, and that kind of goes into app thinning and, you know, slicing and all that stuff that I think they started that in iOS 9, I want to say. Um, so wait, you're saying if you're, do, uh, if you're doing the, what is it, the NS bundle thing? Yeah. Right? The initializer that looks for the, or image named, I know off the top of my head for sure, does it? Or, or that, okay. Yeah. yeah so that's already up to one if you have multiple targets, if I remember off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. So that's already optimized because oh, yeah. even, even though the, interesting, so even though you, you effectively access it via key, which is not strongly typed, so probably mm -hmm. compiled, compiler doesn't really know. So you're saying it actually maps and kind of looks into the assets, uh, what is that? Uh, yeah, like the JSON the, thing. Yes, and it's actually faster too, because like if you think about loading, let's say if you just open up Xcode right now and you drug like an image in there and didn't put it in the image castle, uh, catalog. So then the asset catalog can't optimize, basically it comes down to the optimizations. It can't do all its smarts and its optimizations. And in this case, smarter image decoding for you, uh, because that's just added as part of your bundle, um, or not your bundle, I'm sorry, just you know part of your app. And beyond that, it also can't do anything like, you know, app thinning or the app slicing because uh, you, you know how there's the 1x, the 2x, the 3x and mm -hmm. all those images. Uh, obviously, the app store, when you download an image or I'm sorry, an app, it takes the assets, only the assets that it needs for that phone. So the reason it's, it's more performant is it knows ahead of time kind of what the image buffer is going to look like. And two, it's faster because it can do like a trait base looked up. Because, because of that app slicing instead of, you know, searching the uh, file directory for that image. So it's faster and it's more perf uh, performant from a memory standpoint. So there's so many reasons why you would use the asset catalog. It, it, in fact, I don't even, can't think of a reason off the top of my head why you wouldn't put an image in there. I, I don't, it's funny because we actually don't use that asset catalogs very much at all. Uh, app Buffer or my own app. I mean, I've got a few things, but it's been a long time since I've seen like just an image file hanging out outside of one. Right. So then effectively that means <clears throat> you, you want to worry about that buffer optimization only for runtime images. That's anything, a great way to put it. Yeah. Like anything, if you're downloading it over the wire too. Yeah. That or anything generated by the user. Yes. And another way to think about it too is since I kind of go into this in the talk, but the reason those image buffers are so huge is 
because it, it has to do with the image file dimensions, right? So if you've got, I mean, this is gonna be like an exaggerated example, but just to drive the point home, let's say you've got like an 80 by 80 image and it's 2.4 megabytes. You would maybe look at that and think, oh, it's, it's, I'm only gonna cost 2.4 megabytes, but it's really not. And to draw the example from my talk, if you have a set, I had a 17, 18 by 2048 image, and you've really got to multiply that by whatever the color format is of the phone. So if it's just kind of standard, like sRGB, the math on that comes out to like 13.42 megabytes, even if the file size was small. So the, when it does the image decoding, it has to do with the files, the image's dimensions, not the file size itself. And that's why it's so tricky to catch too, because you wouldn't really, you don't intuitively think of it that way. At least I know I didn't. I looked at like the file size, like, oh, is this a small image? You know, have I put it through image optimum or whatever it is and, you know, crushed it down as low as it goes. Um, but really it's just how big or small that image is. And a lot of times we're putting them in image views that are much smaller than that image dimension size. And that's also when you'd want to do it. So, so is it, is it, okay. <laughs> Bear with me. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a five-year-old here. <laughs> I, I was too. I mean, the talk does really well from WWDC. Uh, that kind of explains it. But yeah, I had no notion of this stuff either before. So so I'm getting NS data for an image from a URL somewhere on the web. Mm -hmm. It's compressed, quote, quote unquote, meaning sure. it contains information, data about what's displayed and at what coordinates and with what color but it doesn't, hmm, how do I explain it? It doesn't contain any extra data about empty space, mm. if that makes sense. And that's why it's compressed, right? It only yeah. has only the necessary information to for that image to be eventually displayed. And then when you're buffering it or getting it into that buffer, it kind of like, decompresses it into the what it actually is going to be as you said the full size of yes, 1700 right. by 2400 for example and then it not only needs to it gets all the data for those particular specific pixels and like that 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 will constitute the image but it also contains the information for all the empty ones as well and that's why it grows in size Yes. I, I'm simplifying, obviously. No, no, no. It's, you, you've pretty much got it. Yeah. You, what, the part you were describing was basically when you initialize the UI image, and this could be different for core graphics. In this case, it's just basically UI kit, UI, UI image, mm -hmm. UI image view. But when you initialize the UI image with you know, the NS data, uh, and then when, when it's tossing it over to the image view, when it's about to be displayed, that's right. when that decoding hits and, and it uh -huh. balloons it like you mentioned. And, and, then, the, and, and then at the last step, right? We're only then you get it to the UI image, but as you said, it's smaller though than mm -hmm. might might be smaller than the your and image. it almost always is right. right. You know? Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one, Max out. Yeah, and then it gets it kind of shrinks it down again, but to scale it to display actually. Yes, right? yeah, and core animation does that part. But 
the overall overall notion of like why we would do it, I guess kind of what we were talking about is in this case, we're getting it from the wire and the image view we're putting it in is likely smaller. Uh, let's say let's say it is smaller because it almost always is is smaller than the image itself. So um, if we're downloading avatars, let's say we're scrolling through a list of like, you know, people that have been on this podcast and we show like their avatar from Twitter. Uh, and this avatar is like 40 by 40 in a table view cell. Um, but the images we get probably are like 120 pixels by 120 pixels. I think on Twitter, that's pretty common. Um, so we're already at a disadvantage at this point because the image we're getting is bigger than the image view we're putting it in. So what the whole point of this uh, taking co uh, control of this decoding phase is we want to downsample it and only take the memory hit for the space that we're using, right? So we don't need the 120 by 120. We just need the 80 by 80. Um, mm. And so depending on the color scale too, you know, sRGB or wide color aware phones, that's going to multiply this problem even more. So when we uh, get into this technique called downsampling, that's how you kind of control this decoding phase. You say, look, I've got this image. Um, it's 120 by 120. I'm only putting it in an 80 by 80 image view. So let's go ahead and only take the decoding hit for an 80 by 80 version of this. And that's where the image IO framework comes into play. And you, you can take control of that and do that. Um, and that has a huge impact on memory. If you do like a before and after using some of Xcode command line tools, like uh, VM map is one that's really good for this because it kind of spits out a diagram of where memory's uh, taking shots at. Um, but yeah, so like the fork in the road would be, am I getting this from my documents directory, i.e. outside of uh, the asset catalog? Am I downloading it from uh, some remote network? And if I am, is this image bigger than the image view I'm putting it in? If, if all those things are true, then decoding is going to really help you out. I just thought of that. Actually, even if you're uh, getting it from asset catalog, it could be bigger than what you need anyway. If you, you didn't have... give the right, if you didn't supply all the image sizes, I think that would be true. Is that what you're saying? Like if you had a 2X device, but you only supplied like a 3X <laughs> asset? Not even that, which yes, that's that uh, that as well. But let's say you the asset you upload and, and bundle up with your app is thousand by thousand pixels. Mm. But what you where you really display in it is in a little thumbnail in table view cells, which yeah. is fifty by fifty. So you still have that waste regardless. And would you have the same problem then? You buffering yeah. it into thousand by thousand, so it's like bigger than it needs to be, and then you shove it into the UI image view, and then then it gets resized to fifty by fifty. Yeah, I think you would still if it has that much of a separation. I think for sure you're gonna have a lot of problems gotcha. um, in that case. So it it could take uh, a little bit extra legwork to go in there because when you do the decoding, one thing that you have to know is like the maximum size of what it's gonna be. And so, you know, if you have a thousand by thousand and it's going to go on something smaller, let's say you have this image, an image like that, that you use in multiple places, uh, right? Like not just a table cell that's smaller than that, or, but it's like a background or like a profile view of an author that you tap on. And in our example of like the uh, list of the iFreaks guests. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And there, I think, I think decoding on the table view cell would probably make sense because I don't know uh, offhand. I don't know how the image cast, uh, asset catalog decodes, um, we know that Apple has thought a lot about that and obviously it's going to be very well done, uh, but a disparity that large probably just couldn't be accounted for. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that'd be something that could, that could come in handy. I'm also thinking a uh, similar scenario, but not like now we have the multi 
screen thing, multi-window on iPad. Oh yeah, don't. I've had a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> I, yeah. T- so so t- t- tell us in a second. But uh, I would think if you're allowing your view to be resized in that multi-window, kind of same mm. thing. You probably want yeah. to bundle up a bigger one for like the biggest resize. If it's like your background image or whatever. Yeah. And then as it as it, as it shrinks, you you having this problem. You still need to render it, but your viewport to render in getting smaller getting right? smaller it just changes yeah in that case i think you would what you would want to decode because one of the biggest things that we're talking about is like is this image view or is the source image like the same size as my image view or bigger in that case it would be changing all the time so uh i it, it, that's a really interesting example because that'd be good to put in a talk to is this situation where you want a background image because i i personally don't run into that um I mean, but, I'm just making it obvious. No, <laughs> no, it's great. But uh, off the top of my head, uh, I, I, what I would probably do is listen to the trait collection and then re-down sample it each time that it, that it happens uh, so you can, you know, avoid some of that. But I mean, and that's the thing with iOS development. There's always something like that, isn't there, <laughs> that you'll run into? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Some edge case, something that, that's going to throw a wrench in your plans. But uh, it kind of goes back to this, the knowledge gap. If, if you don't know where to look in those things, it just gets super frustrating. <laughs> and I luckily just happened to stumble upon some of the the know-how on this one i think this this one's similar to um kind of like i i i don't remember exactly what it was but it's kind of lingering in my memory uh something with table views or frame sizing or auto layout one of those basically related to laying things out it doesn't compute stuff until you assign and then mm. when you assign, it's like implicitly starts the execution and that's on the main thread and you're screwed. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. So something like that. And, and as far as I recall, the workaround was, oh, you call like dot size on it before. Oh, so size, that it computes. size that fits or uh, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. one of those size to, uh, you know, it's so funny you mentioned this because I was looking at an example of this not even 10 minutes before we started recording. I forgot what it was for, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And yes, and this can be a huge problem, right? Uh, because UI kit runs on the main thread, right? Like that's, every, if you've been on iOS or around the block, you either know that or you've been bitten by it or, or both. <laughs> I've been bitten by it many times, but, uh, and that's why this decoding gets so interesting there because if we go back to our render cycle, the load decode and render, and those types of buffers we were talking about, I, I kind of vaguely mentioned the frame buffer, which is, you know, holding your rendered output. Uh, and since that can happen at 60 times a second, typically, or 120 times, well, it wouldn't make any sense to, to get rid of this image buffer, right? Because the CPU would have to keep decoding it. That's why those memory allocations get so large, because the UI image hangs on to that image buffer. Um, and so if you've got all these images, especially in the table view, and they're much bigger than the, than the source material, i.e. the image view, that's why the memory starts to spike on you uh, because the frame buffer keeps refreshing and, you know, pulling from the display hardware and that image buffer is like, Oh, I've already decoded. It makes no sense to do it again. So it just stays out in memory. And if you're not careful and you know, you don't size them the right way, that's, that's where it gets to be very interesting. And, and again, like you said, that's all in the main thread, which is why you notice it fairly quick. Remember when we had manual retain count? Oh my goodness. I started yes. iOS development at that time and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah. That, that specific problem was, oh God. Although in a way I would say 
it was better than Android because at least you controlled it and you could flush your memory, mm. um, f- kind of force it, quote unquote. Uh, with Android, it was like this garbage collection. You could never know, you know, when, when yeah, it gets yeah. deallocated and you're out of heap memory. Shoot me. It gets, yeah. I, uh, .NET, I believe, does garbage collection too. So I ran into that every now and then. Um, but yeah, I, Arc, Arc is really nice. And as soon as the uh, next release came out where they added it, I, I was overjoyed, you know, because I was learning at the time. And so I was like, oh, this retain release stance is really, really something. Uh, but it is kind of analogous to what we're talking about in a way, because it's like, exactly. it's one of those things you don't have to really worry about until you do. Um, and in some ways, Arc has almost done a disservice to the kind of conversation around memory because it's so hyper optimized and efficient um, in a good way that you almost don't have to think about it. But you will at some point, you know, like you're going to create a retain cycle or do something to where you really have to dive into it and figure out, you know, kind of how Arc is really working. Um, and it's kind of like the same way with the image decoding. And until you've been hit by it, <laughs> you know, you don't really think about it. So your solution in the talk was ultimately a um, category extension, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind um, of abstracted it out just to off, off a UI image, I think, is what I had it. Okay. Oh, UI image or UI image view? Uh, it was UI image because the UI image is what's going to crush you on the decoding. If, mm-hmm. um, if you need the smart decoding, that's where you would want to fix it. I was almost thinking like Apple should do that, <laughs> you know, for us. And I understand that, it, that there's this step. I almost like see, because I looked at your solution, it's like uh, what, um, or what is it? layer ca ca animation layer or whatever it's called yeah it just uses image io to create what's called thumbnail so yeah Mm -hmm. the cg image source create yeah so basically you're like you're creating a blank canvas you're pushing of of the size necessary you're Mm -hmm. pushing pixels or sort of taking that ns data and and saying okay given my size that I want to canvas of the canvas that I want to render on, put this data in and exactly that. And it's nothing more complicated than that. It's just saying, I know the size that I've got. I know that the asset catalog isn't going to optimize this for me. So I'll take control of the decoding. Here's how big the image buffer should be. And and that's all it does. And another uh, pro of this is, you know, how we were talking about earlier, how the image buffer hangs around, uh, you know, since it keeps re-rendering. Using this technique, it actually discards it when it doesn't need it anymore. So you get the other benefit of not uh, having that memory allocation hanging out. Uh, so the decoding's a little bit easier on the CPU, um, and the memory's better all the way around for all the reasons we've kind of listed. Um, but yeah, you've absolutely got it. You say, here's my image. Here's the size I need it at. Uh, let's create what's called a thumbnail to represent that. And, and you get back the CG image, but you just wrap that in an image view. Um, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, a, a UI image and pass that to the image view. Right, exactly. So yeah, th- this is why I thought, well, can can, can like Apple just have just that do under it, yeah. the hood? So <laughs> exactly. When you initialize, basically my view of it is like UI image view init with data. Yeah. And, and, think, and, and maybe a param for size or something. Yeah. I think the reason they haven't is because you have to know the size. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess they could do an overloaded, you know, initializer, uh, 
or just add one that that has a size to it um, since this is so intrinsic because that's what decoding always comes down to right is the size that you need to show the image at actually yeah how do you wait so out of layout everything's dynamically sized mm -hmm. how do you go about this then how do you yeah how would so, you know your image size to fit it in so if it's always going to be varying, I think the best rule of thumb is to take the closest estimation you can get. Uh, so if you're going to put it in a table view cell, I would say it would mirror, it would, I would pass whatever you use for estimated cell row height. And I can't remember the API name off mm -hmm, the top mm -hmm. of my head, but um, I do this in, in spin stack. I do have the benefit of knowing how tall it's going to be even before uh, I've scrolled to it uh, because the math for that row is just what's the width of the table view. Uh, make that the same height. So it's just a one-to-one -one aspect ratio. Um, so I do a few things. I do the prefetching API to to do the downsampling. And then I, again, pass it the size because I'll know the size at that point um, by looking at the trait collection. Uh, but yeah, if it's going to vary, I, even if you do a close estimation, you're still going to blow away whatever the memory would be for image decoding without it. Blow away in a good way, I should say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Much smaller. Right. Yeah, I'm just thinking of some, something at work that I'm struggling with. I have a collection view. Every cell in it is equally sized and mm -hmm. pretty, pretty, the, the, the size is predetermined, except one that's dynamically sized nah. at the <laughs> very top. <laughs> and that freaking thing, I have to, I basically end up rendering it and then it's a, of a wrong size. And mm -hmm. then when it sort of assigns all the content to all the UI texts, roughly yeah. speaking, or UI labels rather, then I kind of get a callback back to the collection and say, well, now refresh so that you can ask that thing for the actual size. Size is, I mean, we've been turning tricks for a decade on table views and collection views, trying to figure out how to optimize those things. Um, and that's one reason I was so excited to see the new advances there for iOS 13, um, which I know at, at like our normal jobs, you know, like at Buffer or, or at Wayfair, probably can't use them yet because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're hey, one OS back. Swift UI, that stuff? Yeah, sorry. No, I was thinking of the uh, compositional layout stuff oh, that I they added. I haven't lo looked into that. What is that? Um, basically, it just makes the collection view. You just kind of compose bits and pieces to create whatever the the layout should be. So most of the time, like if you're like me, you just use flow layout and just kind of do the switch inside of like how big the row should be and kind of fake it from there. Uh, but this one allows you to make things like the app store is a great example that I think I've seen used in in the talk at WWDC and mm -hmm. you know other conference talks of like a great use case for it. Uh, you can define like the axis. So if you want it to be horizontal or vertical, and then you just describe like how big each item should be in each section. And you just kind of add these building blocks together to uh, return one object that basically just describes the whole layout. Um, you know, so you don't have to override a ton of methods to uh, kind of get the same result as we had to before. Because making those custom layouts always is you know, an exercise in frustration usually, <laughs> at least it has been for me. Um, and this just makes it very, as the name suggests, composable. It's, it's really, really good. I don't, it's funny because I don't really use a lot of collection views myself, but I, I really liked it. So I almost was <laughs> trying to figure out a way in my own side project to just kind of shove a collection view in somewhere so I can play with it some more. But, uh, and the other thing I was mentioning was the diffable data source uh, setup that they announced. That, that's probably my new favorite API. 
uh, in the past year. That one's been great to use. That's that the one where um, now you, you're never going to have index out of bound type of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. So Supposedly. It's supposedly that's the dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really gets rid of batch updates because uh, those are Im- – I was going to say impossible. It's not impossible, but it feels impossible to get those right. It's annoying One hundred percent. It is because you there's so many things you have to to remember. And it was funny because there was a talk at WWDC 2018, uh, a tour of Collection View, where one of the devs at Apple, uh, obviously, behind Collection View, did a really great talk on how to do that perfectly, right? You know, update your data source in the closure. Make sure you do the insert. Or I don't remember the exact order but it was like you know do the inserts first and the the sections then the deletions and after you watch that you're like that's still really hard <laughs> you know uh but the difficult data source just throws that out the window and you basically get a snapshot you add stuff to it and you call apply and it figures it all out um mm-hmm. i rewrote it i'm rewriting some parts of spin stack with that now uh and i had a tweet that was hilarious uh my old diffing code was like 150 lines and the replacement with demovable data source was like 15 lines or something like that. It was a lot easier to follow. Are you building applications with Vue.js? Then you need to check out the Views on Vue podcast. Every week, we bring in a guest panelist from the Vue community and talk about the interesting things being built with Vue or the changes coming in its ecosystem. You can find it all at viewsonview.com. Yeah, I think we kind of covered most of the most of your talk, right? Yeah. Any, anything else we missed? Uh, one thing that I thought it was interesting to note is you, you mentioned collection view. Um, and a lot of people, when, when they see this talk, I think they, the first thing they think is, oh, I'm going to do this in my table view or collection view, um, you know, for each cell, because that's like a great use case for it. Right. Um, and there's one kind of gotcha there that, uh, I didn't get to talk about it in the talk. I just ran out of time. Um, and I wrote a blog post over some of this and I, I briefly mentioned it. Uh, but basically you can get into some, some issues there because, uh, when you're doing the decoding, no matter which way you slice it, uh, we kind of mentioned it's going to take a hit on the CPU. And if you do those in waves and spikes, that's where we really start to drop frames. And what's re- a lot better is if you get like a nice smooth demand on the CPU. Uh, and a great way to do that is to kind of pop this decoding to a background queue. And this was one mm-hmm. of the first things I thought of, you know, when I went to do this. And of course, that's a great idea. It, it solves the problem. But if you uh, don't make the, the queue basically <laughs> just serial, you can really run into some issues because when you scroll a whole bunch of times, and obviously, you know, collection views, even more so than table views, are going to have quite a few <laughs> rows. Uh, you can end up uh, hitting the situation called thread explosion, where basically you're asking uh, <laughs> the thread. That doesn't to, sound good. It, it, isn't it like one of the best names in computer I science? Know, thread right? explosion, you know. You can really kind of name drop that at like a user group or something and sound like you know what you're talking about. Oh. Yeah, oh, you got to avoid thread explosion. <laughs> but basically all it means is you're trying to parallelize, parallel, parallelize, such a hard word to say, I never get that right the first time, um, work over more CPUs than you have, right? So like if you have an eight core phone and you're trying to spin up like 16, 32, 64 threads, that, that doesn't work. Uh, so my one nugget that I didn't get to talk about in the talk was use a serial queue. If you do that, it'll be a nice, smooth, constant demand. And it'll actually save you a lot of hassle because again, like the collection and table view is just a great uh, spot to use this. Um, but I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't mention that. That reminds me of, um, uh, there is this framework that I used on one of the projects uh, called texture. Used to oh yeah, called- we use texture at buffer almost in every single view in the whole oh, app. Oh, finally, I found <laughs> someone else. Yeah, yeah. 
Thank God. Okay, <laughs> then you know what I'm talking about. That thing's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's just computes all of your stuff to render all of the frames in the background and mm -hmm. you just get the final result and you will roughly speaking apply those frames to your views done yeah it's magic it just it, it really is it's crazy how fast uh that thing gets and it uses some of the same ideas of uh around right. images in the framework and you know it's funny though as since you use texture one of my favorite things is uh, i think people come to texture for the performance right like that's that's why they end up mm -hmm. going yeah i mean i mean it's it's like scrolling dynamically sized tables. That's yeah. it. That's when you get to it. And that's a perfect use case at Buffer because uh, all of our rows are dynamic in height because you create social media posts, right? Do you mm -hmm. have one line, 10 lines? Do you have an image? Do you have a link? Uh, and yeah, Texture was a great help for that. But the, one of the things I like most about uh, Texture is just the uh, layout API. You know, how you create these layout specs and you return those. Um, right. Goodness gracious. I think... Like if, if I could even use UI kit and just use the layout specs, I would almost even like that more sometimes. I know, right? And it's the, they're, they're predictable. They're like saying they work as you think they should. Like you just, mm -hmm. and you they're know, easy to reason about. Assumptions are safe, exactly. Like with auto layout, no matter how many years I spend, it's like never what I think it, it, it never does what I think it would it, yeah. Oh, yeah. You never get it right the first time, right? It's like it's you. You go at it a few times, or if you miss a uh, translate auto, auto size resizing mass to false, mm -hmm. if you miss one of those, or you know, uh, yeah, you don't worry about any of that. And that's that's one reason why not to pop topics on it. Is why I'm excited about Swift UI because the layout is kind of the same. It's like a V stack or an In H stack. Way, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's yeah. Exactly. It's linear layout with one direction or another, effectively. Yeah. I mean, of course, texture is like fully featured several years in. So there's so many things you can do. Uh, but yeah, almost all of Buffer is, is written in texture. Um, and and it's composable too. Like you can reuse those layouts a lot, which is really, really nice. Are they, are they have they moved to Swift or are they still Objective-C? Uh, the source code is written in Objective-C++ for the most part. Um, oh, wow. Okay. But it you can use it with Swift. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we just now started using Swift at Buffer. Um, you know, we're waiting for the ABI compatibility and, you know, all the other reasons why if you haven't used mm -hmm. Swift yet, those are those are kind of well known. But um, yeah, it, it works just fine in, in Swift. We really, really weren't sure kind of how it was going to go, <laughs> more or less. We were a little uh, hesitant about it, but it's it's funny. If you look at uh, Texture's uh, issues on GitHub, most of the code samples are in Swift. So I would imagine it's pretty pretty battle tested there. But no, it's been with the expressibility of Swift and the the easy use of those layout specs. Oh, it's nice. It's really fun. Mm. Now I almost want to make some social media app <laughs> just, just so that I get to use it. Oh yeah, the day we stopped worrying about like registering cells and you know uh, trying to get the layout right on our layout for those and and cell reuse, which is another giant pain, another source of a million bugs. Uh, it was right. it was really good. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, Pinterest is now a public uh, company, publicly traded. They're not going to go away too oh, yeah. fast. So <laughs> yeah. they'll just maintain this. It is fine. They're, they're going to have to. Either that or they're going to find themselves having to rewrite their entire app. Um, but Th yeah. That and yeah, I don't think it's probably going to be many years before they are able to do anything like that with Swift UI anyway. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny because it makes you wonder with the new Swift 5.1 features like the uh, function builders and, you know, this DSL type of uh, functionality, like, could you plug that in for texture or vice versa, like make texture work with it? You know, there's so many crazy, crazy ways that all that could go. Suspect no. And I, I have not dug deep into Swift UI yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, but I know in Apple, I assume and likely I'm like 95% right on this one. It still renders all this stuff on the main thread anyway, just like how the layout does. And mm-hmm. it means it still sucks in that. Yeah. Regard. You know, it's crazy because I, I think you're right. I think it is. I think it's been confirmed actually on one of the uh, leads. Uh, I think Josh Schaefer is his name. Um, said that it is all in the main thread. I don't know if that'll change, but uh, the the person who wrote core animation is on the Swift UI team too. And there's something, they're doing something crazy with it uh, to make it optimized. Like I think they use metal in some parts mm-hmm. um, because speaking of image decoding, I when Swift UI came out, I did just a quick test and did uh, a UI kit version and a Swift UI version. And the UI kit version didn't do image decoding on purpose. Uh, and you know, neither did the Swift UI version, but the Swift UI version used a lot less memory. So I don't know what kind of, uh, wizardry they're doing under the hood <laughs> for images in swift ui but it's definitely different hmm. well we shall see <laughs> we shall see that you just summed up swift ui as a whole i think <laughs> yeah oh, all right I'll, I'll withdraw from my personal opinions on it <laughs> i'm probably so loud about it everywhere so people know it's like yeah yeah they they know where you stand huh not a fan yeah yeah but, it's got to have some time to bake for sure Okay, great. So how can, Jordan, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, JordanMorgan10 um, and also my website, uh, SwiftJectiveC.com. And uh, if, if you didn't get the joke at the beginning of the episode when we were talking about it, it's just Swift and Objective-C mashed together. Um, so I've got a, a post called Optimizing Images is the title where I talk a lot about what we chatted about today. But yep, Twitter's definitely the best way. Nice. and. Uh, uh, you can, you guys can reach us out on Twitter I, at iFreaks, and I think we have an email that I kind of forgot, <laughs> but we'll Give put it, it in. Try. Yeah, we'll put it in show notes. Um, yeah, picks. <laughs> We're doing picks for me. Witcher, great mm. show. I I just binged. Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's well done. Great acting. Nothing. Nothing cringy, nothing too much of like <laughs> some stuff that they try to promote or whatnot. It, it, it's great. Like so far, it's got that viral song too, right? The and it got the song. Yeah, and I even I, I think the other day I saw a cover, like a rock band cover, or something of that. <laughs> nice. It's great. She's great. So yeah, highly recommend if you if I have Netflix or if you. Mm. pirates i don't know either way just 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 watch it watch yeah it. it's superman turned into a a big witcher so here's the thing if my friends would not have told me i i probably wouldn't kind of recognize him to be honest oh henry cavill yeah i think it's just completely different kind of look i guess the chin is the same but other than that he kind of looks like he's got the pointy ears going on too doesn't he mm-hmm. yeah yeah Good one. I'll, well, I might have to watch that. Because I love video games, so I'm familiar with like the Witcher franchise on there, and I know there's books and stuff, but I haven't seen the show yet. 
Um, I'm I'm more of a of a sci-fi guy myself, so I think my pick will have to be in that realm. So I I finished uh, Watchmen not too long ago. Really enjoyed that. Uh, the the movie H- movie or so there's a new series on HBO, um, and it's based it's based on the same source material as as the movie is the you know the graphic novels. Uh, and I think it recognizes the stuff that happened in the movie is more or less, but, but anyways, yeah, it was, it was really good. It's, uh, from Damon Lindelof who did lost, which I love. Um, and a few other shows, he's kind of known for those twists and turns. Uh, and, and that's what hooks me is, um, that when an episode ends with like, Oh, come on, I gotta know like what happened or, <laughs> you know, so it, it really has that factor going on. So I, I watched that and it just finished uh, its first season. And then I read on Twitter, they're not going to have another season. So I'm kind of bummed about that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. yeah. I guess Damon Lindelof doesn't want to do another one, but uh, that, that would definitely be my pick. Very, very good. Great. All right, guys. So yeah. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Well, we'll see you next time. Awesome. Bye. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.